This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. There's been a growing amount of conversation in and outside of newsrooms about how news coverage has harmed and excluded communities of color. Nine times out of 10, if I turn on the news and I see something about a person of color, it's something negative. On today's show, we discuss what racist media coverage looks like and how past and present harm is being addressed. That's coming up. You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole. Media in Colorado and across the country has a long history of harming communities of color. In the 19th and 20th centuries, newspaper reporters sometimes used racist language or reported crime stories in a way that assumed the guilt of people of color. And even in the 21st century, that's still happening. When Minneapolis police murdered George Floyd in the summer of 2020, conversations around racism in media came to a head. Some outlets had been quick to publish a law enforcement account of what happened, which later proved to be a gross misrepresentation of Floyd's death. When a citizen video of the murder circulated online and in the news, some questioned why a graphic depiction was necessary to bring justice for Floyd. Others likened it to photos of lynchings and worried the video's pervasiveness only served to re-traumatize Black people. A group of Colorado journalists and community members of color have been working to understand and correct systemic harm of traditional local media here. In 2019, a group of local organizations, including Free Press, Colorado Media Project, and the Colorado News Collaborative, launched a project that is now known as the Voices Initiative. They've conducted separate gatherings between journalists and Black and Latinx community members to collect perspective on past and present racism in local media. And while the work is ongoing, they've also gathered recommendations to better serve those communities going forward. Today, we're talking about the findings of the Voices Initiative so far. I'm joined by Tina Griego, a reporter, editor, and coach at Colorado News Collaborative, a partner in the creation of the initiative. Tina, hi, and welcome to Colorado Edition. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm also joined by Tia Trent, a program manager at Project Voice. That's a Denver-based organization that helps youth from low-income and underrepresented communities become transformational leaders. Tia has participated in the work of the initiative. Tia, thank you so much for being here. Hello. And for some perspective on the racist past of newspapers, we're joined by Tatiana Monet, a reporter at the Howard Center for Investigative Journalism. Tatiana has reported on how the Associated Press spread racist Jim Crow-era coverage to a national audience, including in Colorado. Tatiana, thank you for being here. Hi, Erin. Thanks for having me. Let me start with you, Tina. How did the Voices Initiative get started? The Voices Initiative was started as a conversation among three organizations, uh, Free Press, which is a national organization, Colorado Media Project, and, um, and Colab. And essentially, it, it was um, led by a, a young woman named Diamond Hardeman, dynamic young leader, um, with the goal of trying to figure out ways in which local newsrooms could build or rebuild bridges between um, Colorado's communities of color. We started with Black Voices, then we had Latinx Voices. This year we will have AAPI and Indigenous groups. And the idea was this is going to be a community-led process in which we gather small groups 
and have conversations, sometimes very hard conversations, about what will it take to rebuild trust? What will it take to redress some of the sins of the past? Um, what will it take to move forward? What will it take to amplify Black voices? And, and essentially the idea is for so many years, uh, there's been this kind of caricature of coverage and how do we fill in those lines? How do we truly become the collabs motto is better news for all Coloradans. How does all genuinely become all? And so we had a series of conversations around that and each group came up with recommendations for change. Well, it sounds like this begins with listening to communities about what they want and what they expect and need from news coverage. So far, you've held sessions with both Black and Latinx community members. How did those work and who participated? The Black Voices Group was our first, and we had a core, smaller core group of, it was really important for us to have kind of representation, both from um, journalism or, I don't really like this phrase, but it's content creators, right? Other Others who are participating in the creation of media that are not necessarily trained journalists, um, but nonetheless are valuable um, and important purveyors of information in their communities. And so we had a mix of, of kind of media people, people working in journalism, and then community people. We really sought to get a cross-section of people from around the state, generational, um, to kind of bring all of those perspectives to bear. It's, I just wanna acknowledge that when we're talking about, for example, black community or Latinx community, one, those communities, as all communities are, are extremely diverse. They're complicated and complex. And so this group, each of these groups, they make no pretense at speaking for an entire community. Um, I think we put in the Black Voices group, it's rather that this conversation is part of a chorus of voices over time that have demanded change. And so each group met um, three times, had conversations about around the recommendations for change. And then um, we have since moved to kind of issue a report and then actually thanks to the Colorado Media Project and funders that it has um, worked with, we we're, were able to start this year to implement, actually implement some of those changes. And I want to get to those changes in just a bit, but let's turn to Tia Trent now. Tia, you participated in the Black Working Group sessions. What made you want to get involved? Because I'm a I'm part of the community, right? And um, I really advocate for um, voices to get heard that don't usually get heard. And so, as soon as they were like, "Hey, do you want to?" Yes, of course. Let's you know, let's let's talk. Um, you know, I um, spoke a lot about youth voices um, during this um, this initiative, um, and so it was just really something that was close to my heart to get involved with. What had been your impression of media before joining this group? Oh, I mean, it hasn't changed much, but <laughs> media it, it is it's not for us. Like it's not necessarily for us, and so I don't know that it has changed much. You know, having these different conversations makes me feel hopeful that, um, you know, folks are starting to listen. Um, but at the same time, I also know that um, our people are also um, 
not sitting around and waiting right for a seat at the table they're making their own tables and so they're creating their own media you know structure so that that our stories can be told from our point of views, um, point of view and from us. And I think that kind of answers my question. But when you say news media isn't for us, can you say more about what that means to you? So what that means to me is that, um, you know, nine times out of 10, if I turn on the news and I see something about a person of color, it's something negative. And that's usually just what it is. Um, Tina alluded to it early, earlier, you know, these caricatures that are in the um, media you know, it just really doesn't sit right with me, right? Because that's not what we all are about, right? Um, every community has um, violence, right? We don't ever get to see um, people um, reporting on white on white crime, right? So why does it have to be black on black crime? What does that mean? I want to talk about some of the recommendations that the groups um, brought up and brought forward. One of those was media organizations acknowledging the harm that they have caused communities of color in Colorado. And I think this ties into Tatiana's work, and I want to bring her in in just a moment. But first, um, Tina Griego, could you tell me what you think that kind of acknowledgement could look like? It, it can take many forms. Some of it is just the very direct um, acknowledgement and an analysis of past coverage of who's working in the newsroom. We, um, in, in recent days, circulating around has been an extraordinary piece of journalism from the Philadelphia Inquirer, which tackled that question um, in, in examining its own role internally of resisting integration of how Black reporters were treated as the city became a, a much more Black city. It went way back in history, and it was a very, very detailed look at what was happening inside the paper that contributed to, to harmful coverage of the Black community in Philadelphia. So it could take that form. And we've seen the Los Angeles Times do that. We've seen the Kansas City Star do that. Who's going to take the lead on this in Colorado is a difficult question. We're a pretty fractured media landscape. And so that kind of conversation around would we follow the same model, I think, is still beginning. Uh, I will say that um, some of the funding that we got uh, through the Colorado Media Project was to do a kind of very, it's a, it's a baseline survey of representation in newsrooms. And um, this is, I'm not even going to pretend like this is a, this is any kind of a solution. It is a start. It at least gives us a snapshot of who is working in newsrooms with the idea that we would continue to, to measure that every single year so that we knew we had some sense of, of, you know, hiring retention and management you know, acknowledgement of harm is the number one recommendation from the Black Voices Group. The uh, audit of staffing is the number one recommendation from the Latinx Voices Group. Those things dovetail. One informs the other. You know, that is that is the work that lies ahead. That's the first part of our conversation with Tina Griego, Tia Trent, and Tatiana Monet. We'll be back after a short break. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. Today, we're listening back to our conversation exploring the history of racist media coverage in Colorado and the racism still present in media today. 
In the past, it might have shown up as reporters using overtly racist language. These days, it may take the form of skewed crime reporting that prioritizes accounts from police over community members. Or when media rushes to cover instances of tragedy and violence in communities of color, but overlooks their stories of joy, accomplishment, and celebration. We're speaking with Tina Griego, a reporter, editor, and coach at Colorado News Collaborative. We're also joined by Tia Trent, a program manager at the Denver-based Project Voice that helps youth become transformational leaders, and Tatiana Monet, a reporter at the Howard Center for Investigative Journalism. Tatiana, let me bring you in here. In November, you co-reported a story on how the Associated Press spread racist Jim Crow-era coverage to a national audience. This story was part of a project called Printing Hate from the Howard Center for Investigative Journalism. Reporter Eve Sampson worked on that story with you. And one of the stories you focused on was AP's coverage of the lynching of a black teenager in Colorado in 1900. I want to get to that in just a moment. But first, talk about how you and Eve Sampson went about your reporting. You know, it took a lot of work. Um, We sort of had to go through like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of archival (laughs) newspapers and really read through and sort of, you know, find one story in one newspaper, make sure that it had the Associated Press ticker, you know, and sort of track where that specific story traveled. So how it changed from paper to paper, how the headline changed, maybe there was something in the copy. And that's really how we sort of identified the patterns and and found that, yeah, the, the Associated Press spread um, racist coverage in the 1800s and 1900s. And one of the stories you highlighted was about Preston John Porter, a Black teenager who was lynched in Lyman, Colorado in 1900. What can you tell us about that story? Yeah, so Preston Porter was actually um, only 16 when he was accused of raping and murdering a 12-year-old white girl um, in his community. You know, during these days, if you are a Black person accused of a crime like this, accused of any crime really, um, in the court of public opinion, you are already guilty. Um, And that sort of triggered these white angry mobs that would take matters into their own hands. And, you know, that's exactly what what they did with Porter. Um, They said he was guilty. And so that was that he wasn't able to actually go on trial for this crime um, that he was being accused of. Um, So he was actually being transported to his trial. Um, And then when they got to the train station, there was a mob of about 200, 300 people waiting for Porter. Um, they ended up tying him to a railroad track and burning him alive. And, and that's how Porter was lynched. Um, and so when you share the story on social media, um, the photo that we have included in the story is a photo of Porter right before he was lynched. And the caption reads, on the road to the scene of the fire, Porter stopped with the rope around his neck and reading St. Luke and the Psalms while the Times photographer took a picture. He seemed glad to pose. The image that we all have and the image that people in communities in Colorado and I think the story appeared in other cities as well. And that's the impression that they were left with. How did the Associated Press respond to your reporting? The VP or one of the VPs um, and the standards editor at the AP said, 
you know, kind of gave us a statement that said, you know, Associated Press knows of no instance in which, you know, they deliberately promoted racist violence. But, you know, as we noted in the story that he gave the exact same quote to the nation in April 2021 for a very similar story. And eventually, you know, we got to speak to Amanda Barrett, who is, I think, the vice president and head of news audience at the Associated Press. And, you know, she did acknowledge that some of the past newsrooms coverage, you know, was problematic. Um, So there is some acknowledgement from the AP. I'm sorry, I keep jumping in. Yes, Tina Griego, go ahead. I was going to say, the AP is a co-lab member and it has been involved in these conversations locally as well. And I, I want to be hopeful that the conversation within newsrooms is really changing from the kind of base DEI stuff, the representation stuff, to, to the examination of ways in which newsrooms across the country have in the past, have in the present, um, upholding white supremacy. It's, it is, and that is a marked shift. They are not only difficult conversations, but to make the change is, it, it's huge. And it, and and I, I want to note, while I praise the Philadelphia Inquirer for making the changes that it's trying to make for that extraordinary piece of journalism, its newspaper guild, I think just yesterday filed suit because they are challenging a wage disparity case between a black and a white reporter who have the same job. The coverage that uh, Tatiana just described is horrific and very overtly racist. But I think it's important to acknowledge that coverage doesn't have to be so blatant um, to cause serious harm. And a lot of the coverage that we see today might fall into that less blatant category. How do you see media in Colorado perpetuating racism? And I want to ask Tia as well. Tia, would you like to start? Um, I have to be perfectly honest. Um, I have basically stopped watching so much news, right? It's because like, I live a lot of this stuff every day. And um, it's just saddening and frustrating to turn on the news and just always see stuff that's negative about people of color. And so I can honestly say, like, I have not really paid much attention to the news sources, the um, the greater news sources. I pay attention to, you know, the smaller ones that are being made by our communities um, for us. And so I would definitely be um, on board, you know, to start, you know, checking out what the media is doing um, and seeing if there is any change that's being enacted. Um, But at this point, I don't feel like there's really much change happening. And Tina, I'll toss that question to you about what you're seeing right now that's subtle, I guess. What what we have tended to see is is that you caricature whether you're going to be doing like whatever the extreme is right. So it's going to be the criminal or it's going to be the saint. They both dehumanize, and there is no filling in the lines in between. And so that there's this great line in in the Philadelphian story about where, where if you read the paper, gosh, I'm going to get it right because it's such a it was such a good note that you would question whether black people lived lives or they sprouted fully grown. That act of kind of erasing the, the, the rich nuance and complication of life, it, it reduces people, it dehumanizes people. And if you're only doing the negative, it can have direct consequences on neighborhoods where it leads to disinvestment um, and you know 
Um, and that disinvestment eventually gives way to gentrification and people are displaced. You, you can connect the dots. Um, the second thing I'd just like to say really quick is that, you know, we are at CoLab working on a, a project that's measuring the social and economic progress of Black and Latino Coloradans simply because they're our largest groups and there's more data around. Tia was part of a conversation just this week where we brought in Voices members to have this conversation with reporters as we are all germinating the story idea so that we, we're not conceiving of a story and then going out to look for a Black or Brown person as a prop um, to hold up the story, right? And so that is a, that is, it's a small thing, but it's, it is, I think, a significant thing. I want to pause here and ask a quick question of you, Tatiana. It sounds like the amount of time you spent reporting this project on the Associated Press would be traumatic and very upsetting. I'm wondering what you do to kind of take care of yourself and your own emotional health when working on pieces like this. Yeah, that is such a great question Um, because, I mean, you know, we literally were just reading over and over. I mean, we had to sort of like, look at the archives and then narrow our search to to look at lynching coverage and so even if the coverage wasn't from the ap we were still looking at it um and just reading hundreds and hundreds of stories a day so it was really intense um i mean i think our editors made a lot of space for us they kind of warned us at the beginning of the project like hey this is probably going to be like one of the heaviest stories that you (laughs) have worked on to date and they were totally right. I think, you know, I, I teach yoga. I'm into like essential oils and aromatherapy. Like I had lavender essential oil on deck, like during the day, just <laughs> to rub it like over my temples and stuff. Because I mean, like I noticed like my jaw would start clenching when I was reading this stuff. Cause it was just so like, we had to really go over these stories with like a fine tooth comb. I, I wasn't able to kind of read it and 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 be distracted i had to really really pay attention to hundreds and hundreds of lynching coverage um and i think it was a great story to to have a partner with you know to to be able to vent um i think even i i think every like half hour we would just be like oh my god can you believe this (laughs) um and i think you know just making making space to to talk about it and to vent was really important as well. So glad you had that because it's such important work. Let me wrap up with you, Tina Griego. What is being done with recommendations that are collected from the Voices Initiative now? We have some funding, a lot of money, actually. I can't remember what the total is, somewhere near a million dollars um, that, that came from a pool of funders that Colorado Media Project did and then dispersed to, to newsrooms across the state to do this work. And the key part of the application or the key requirement is it had to be connected to the Black and Latinx voices work. And so again, this is this is an attempt to, you know, Tia and others put in the time they put in their hearts, they put in their energy into this, these recommendations, and we're, no one wants to see them just languish, right? And so this funding is going to help um, bring them to life over the next few years, and we're really grateful for that. And Tia, do you plan to remain involved, and are you hopeful that 
some changes will will happen as a result of this. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> <laughs> kind that of. That says I, a lot. You know, I, I am. When mm-hmm. I see folks like Tina, Sylvia, um, Tatiana, like folks like this really like digging deep and finding different avenues to get these stories out so that it's not just them doing it, but other folks, you know, if we want to say mainstream folks will start, you know, doing it um, too. So, I mean, it, it makes me hopeful that, you know, our voices will be heard. We'll start to be able to be in those rooms and tell our stories for ourselves. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I remain hopeful. Tia Trent is a program manager at Project Voice, a Denver-based organization that helps and serves youth from low-income and underrepresented communities. Tina Griego, a reporter, editor, and coach at Colorado News Collaborative, or CoLab, and Tatiana Monet, a reporter at the Howard Center for Investigative Journalism. Tina, Tia, Tatiana, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Erin. Thank you for having us. It was a great conversation. Thank you. That's our show for today. I'm Erin O'Toole, and I'm excited to let you know about some changes coming to Colorado Edition. Starting Monday, our daily broadcast program will be on an extended hiatus, but beginning later this month, you'll hear more of my in-depth conversations in Morning Edition and All Things Considered. Our podcast will feature stories and reports from the KUNC newsroom for a while, but is coming back with a new sound and feel and deeper, regular conversations. So stay subscribed so you never miss an episode. You can sign up for free at KUNC.org or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Thank you to everyone who makes this show happen, including our digital editors, Ashley Jeffcoat and Jackie High, and Sean Corcoran, our executive producer. And thank you so much for listening. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. 